and I'm not going to come back and re-preach her sermon, but I have literally been so stinking excited to hear her preach today. And so without further ado, would you join me and let's welcome to the pulpit today, Miss Stephanie Hilbert. Thank you, Pastor. I was, it's awesome because uh, during praise and worship, I didn't know the songs. I didn't, I, because I knew I wasn't singing today, I didn't know the songs that were going to be sang. And so it was awesome to me just how the Lord confirms his word. And even some, even some of what Pastor was praying, I knew that he was confirming to me what he had laid on my heart. And I got so happy that I, I, my foot got caught in the uh, chair over there and I almost fell down. I had to catch myself and I thought, Maybe I shouldn't have wore these shoes this morning, but I thought, okay, you're going to have to just calm down. So, uh, but you know, I, I'm excited uh, this morning and, and grateful for the opportunity to minister. And uh, Pastor did let, uh, inform me about ministering several months back, and so this word has been building. And so I promise I won't keep you too long, but I want to be obedient with the word that God's placed on my heart um, but before I begin, I just want to say Happy Mother's Day to all the mamas, and especially my mama, that uh, mom and dad that came with me today. And um, they're very active in their own church, and so uh, it was a sacrifice for them to come and be with me today. And I want to uh, just recognize and appreciate you for being here with me. So uh, today, I, what I am talking about is walking out our identity. We've heard a lot of teaching and preaching about our identity in Christ. But today I want to talk about what that looks like when we walk it out in our everyday life. Um, you know, since ancient times, philosophers have had sayings like, know thyself, okay? And many psychologists have tried to interpret what really motivates people. They've published diagrams and pyramids analyzing what our needs are. And in our culture, Modern philosophy took that same notion and things like the me generation that began in the 70s were analyzed to describe a generation of young people that was looking for self-fulfillment and self-realization. And we can see that with the present time, with technology and media and all the self-centered logans and slogans and books and articles that we have, the search has been throughout time, it's remained the same, searching for truth and identity and how it affects our motivations, how it affects the actions in our life, how we think and react to situations. And here is the issue. Looking for security in a constantly shifting world. One of the biggest weapons that the enemy has is doubt and insecurity. And it takes so many different forms in our life. And I want to read to you three definitions of security. First is assurance. It's a positive declaration intended to give confidence. It's a promise. Secure means that I'm assured in my expectation of something. And security is the quality or state of being secure and the procedures of, that follow. In other words, how that walks out, how that plays out. So why am I giving these definitions today? Because what and how we do is motivated and impacted by our search for security. And the Lord wants us to know where our source of security is. 
and how that looks in our daily life and how the enemy tries to come in and take breaches in our security. So as we go through the message today, it's easy for us when we hear certain things to be like, oh, I, I wish so-and-so was hearing this. But look at your neighbor today and say, she's talking to me. See, our identity in Christ, it's more than an ideal. Ephesians is like a blueprint for the church. It begins by telling us of every single thing that Christ has done for us and how that we've been chosen in him before the foundation of the world when we accepted Christ, that we were predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ and himself, that we've been accepted in the beloved, we've been redeemed by his blood, that we've had forgiveness of sins, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, made known to us the mystery of his calling, and that in Christ we are seated in heavenly places far above all principality and powers. And the exceeding power, the greatness of the power for those who believe. And so when we read this, what does that look like on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday in our lives? Not just Sunday, but when we walk out those doors. What does that look like? It's more than an ideal, and that's why we need wisdom. It goes on in Ephesians to say that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand from the foundations of the world for us to walk in. So our scripture today is found in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. I'm going to read and then we're going to pray. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. If you bow your heads with me so we can pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for every person that's here, Lord, by divine design. Lord, I thank you, Father, Lord God, for our worship today. Lord, I thank you for our prayers, Lord God, where we're recognizing, Lord, the authority that we have in you. I pray, Lord, that you would open up every ear to hear and every eye to see, Father Lord, that we'll not just see, Father Lord God, the words. We will not just hear the words, Lord, but they will penetrate into our spirits, God, and we will be resolved to act in faith upon your word today. Lord, I thank you, Father, Lord God, that, that you will speak a word, Father, Lord, that will go with us as we walk out these doors today, Lord. And it's all by your power and your authority. And in Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen. In order for us to walk wisely, we must know what God wants us to do and what dangers to avoid. And that's why that each one of these scriptures, it shows the command and a contrasting command of caution. So I want to go, I want to break each one of these down today, starting at verse 15. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. See, we've got to put our position into practice. You know, when, when coaches give out people, uh, positions to people, okay, on the team, they don't just say, okay, now we've given you the position, good luck on the game. No, they have practice. Okay? The, the, the players come together and they practice so that they learn how to maneuver within that position. They learn defense. They learn offense. They learn what, how to maneuver within the position that they have, how to guard that position. So we've got to have 
wisdom for the traps and the gaps. Okay, the culture, our flesh. What is our flesh? Our flesh is our senses, our five senses, okay? And Satan, they try to tell us who we are. And how often do we find ourselves defining ourselves through our feelings, through opinions or perceived opinions that we have of what others think of us, our circumstances, our successes, our failures? How often do we define ourselves through these things? And insecurities come in the traps and the gaps. What actually feeds our insecurity is looking for security in the wrong places. So let's look at the traps today. See, there's a war going on between our flesh and the spirit. There's a constant war. And it's easy to see because we live in a world that's focused on self. And too much thought indeed is wrong. But the Bible is clear that we need to give careful thought to how we live. So it's more about thinking of ourselves in the right way. And that's why we need wisdom and grace from the Lord so we can think the right way about ourselves. It can fluctuate between thinking too high or thinking too low. And conventional wisdom says, hey, don't get mad, you know, just get even. But now you see it take a step further. Don't get mad when people are coming against you, just get ahead. So just keep, keep having more and more successes. Let that be what defines you, and then you're going to get ahead of everyone else. And it's a mentality, but it feeds off insecurity. We need needing everyone to think that we've got it all together. Or when our attention is drawn to what other people have that we don't have. And it promotes a spirit of discontentment within us. When we look to other people's praise or criticisms as the factors for how we feel at any given moment. The pictures of failures from our past that keep trying to come and prevent us from stepping out in the future. Or the times that we think no one understands what I'm going through. And so we'll live over here in these little places of isolation. We were not meant to live in islands by ourselves. So when we think that no one understands, God understands. And there are some, he understands it all. And, and he means for us to come together and to share one another's burdens. So what about the gaps today? You know, I, I thought about this in a funny kind of way. Um, I've always thought that I could dance pretty well. Okay, and so at... At home, I would have these dance competitions with Grant on different, uh, different things that we have, like the Xbox or uh, we've done on the Wii and things like that. And, you know, when he was younger, I could smoke him, okay? I could. I would, I would be, well, then, you know, he gets a little older, and I get a little older, and I'm finding that not only was his score creeping up on mine, but he was beating me. And I'm like, what? you must be standing right in front of the sensor, okay? Because there is no way that you're going to beat me. But you know what? I could sense the gap, you know? I could sense where I wanted to be, but just I, I couldn't quite get to where his score was. And we, have, we all face areas in our lives where we want to be and where we are, and in between there's the gap. And that's where the pressure hits. That's where we, it's my awareness of what I lack. It's my awareness of the pressure. And so we can either try to do one of three things. We'll, we're, we can be a solver, okay? I'm going to fix this. I'm going to figure out a way to fix this. I'm a solver. Or we can mask it. Nobody needs to know I'm dealing with this. Or we just give up. It's too much pressure. 
I can't take it. I'm just, I'm, I'm just going to release myself to all my doubts and fears. I just give up. So we usually will fall in one of those three categories, solving, masking, or giving up. And at the beginning of the year, I had prayed for discernment, especially concerning uh, my children, okay? Just really sense the need to be, to be more vigilantly praying for discernment. And have you ever learned of things and then realized you liked it better when you were ignorant? You know, because once you know, there's no going back, right? Once you know things, once you, once you sense things going on or you sense um, hurt or you, whatever it is, it, it's going to call from a response from you. And sometimes once you know it, you feel the gap, right? You feel the pressure. And, you know, it, being a mama today, okay, uh, how many realize that, I will tell you, that it's one thing, and it, it, it is, I can remember the times when I had to carry everything uh, under the kitchen sink everywhere I went when my kids were little. I know those times. But let me tell you, it is something else, too, when your kids reach that age, when they are dealing with the same struggles and facing the same kinds of pressures that you yourself have experienced and maybe even sometimes walk in yourself. And so I'll tell you, my friends with younger children, pray for me, and I will pray for you once you get there, because I'm a solver, okay? I like to fix things. And so when I see some of these issues going on and I see the pressures, I want to fix it. And some things you can't just readily fix. And sometimes there can be a little bit of a communication gap there. And I, I remember one time uh, being in the car and having this wonderful, and I already talked to Grant, told him that I'm going to bring him up in the sermon today, so he's okay. Um, but I, I remember having this wonderful conversation with him. And, I'm, and, and because, you know, I recognized for me some of the, the issues that, that I could see from my teenage years was a, was a lack of communication. So I thought, well, that's it. That's how that I'm going to fix things with Grant is we're just going to communicate, communicate, communicate. So I'm in there, and I'm just grilling him, okay? I'm asking him one question after another, right? And, he, and Grant's not the type to easily open up. So he's talking with me, but there comes a point where he's done, okay? And what, turned, what started as this wonderful conversation ended up in this terrible argument <laughs> between he and I. And I'm like, my feelings are hurt. I'm upset, frustrated. I'm like, what is going on? How could we just went from this to this? And I'm filling the gap. But I had to come back and pray and realize that when he had discernment to see that he opened up and he talked with me, and now I need to learn how to sometimes step back and pray, and trust the Lord. So we have to pray for wisdom to discern what to say and when to say it, and when not to say it, and when to stop trying to fix it and pray and trust that the Lord is working on our behalf. Amen? And my brother sent me this video several months ago, and and. Uh, I've, I really thought about it. It was, it was pretty eye-opening. It was a video of a cultural anthropologist, and he was talking about 
some of the challenges that this generation have with identity and how much of it is entrenched in the technological age because people are getting lost in instant gratification in so many means and how it can cause disconnection from the real world and real life and how many, many young people describe having lots of connections with people but not any real meaningful relationships and how they would get their sense of belonging through these different means of sharing online and how that studies had shown that how they would react to this almost created like a, like a dopamine high in their brain and how that it would, but when they had all of this connectivity but without real connections, it would cause them to spiral up and down all the time, okay? And so, which would actually create feelings of isolation, which causes obsessive behaviors, addictions, and coping methods. So when the pressure hits and they're filling the gap, they're turning to all these things for their sense of identity. They're feeding the need to belong. And I watched this, and I didn't take the video to say that the, the internet is bad. That's not because we can see all the good that comes out of uh, connecting people all over the world and how that we can get the word of God out there. There are so many good things about the internet. I'm not up here trying to bash the internet. But what I am saying is we need discernment. We need discernment not only for ourselves, where we look, but where our kids are looking. We need discernment. We need to sense and recognize what's going on with them when they are looking to these other things to find their sense of self. We need wisdom for the traps and the gaps. Verse 16 goes on to say, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Billy Graham said this when he was uh, asked a question from a university student and he uh, put this question in his autobiography. It says, what is the greatest surprise you have found about life? And his response was, the brevity of it. And he wrote in his autobiography, as I've been working on my book, many of the things I've recounted seem as if they happened only yesterday. Time moves so quickly and no matter who we are or what we have done, the time will come when our lives will be over. So I want to begin with this verse of talking about missed opportunities. Have you ever had Kohl's cash and it be sitting in your purse or sitting somewhere and you keep thinking, you know what, I'm pretty sure there's, a, there's an expiration date on this, but I'm so busy. I'm so busy. And the next thing you know, you pull it out. I mean, it was free money and you let the date expire because you were just too busy, right? How about anyone that's ever missed a promotion opportunity because you were too indecisive? Can I, can I really do this? Should, should I go for this? Am, am I capable? And then you finally make up your mind, I'm going to go for it, and the post is over. It's already passed. What about the things that we've sensed that, we, that the Lord is leading us to do, and it's fallen through the cracks because we're just too busy? or we're too indecisive, and we're thinking, can I really do this? You know, did he really tell me to say that? And we let these things fall through the cracks. 
What about when you're praying for someone and God lays something on your heart for them, but you get in your own head too much? I've actually taken the time to write something down and then analyzed it so much, I never end up giving it to the individual. I've done it. And I think about words that I've received in due season. Anyone ever got a word in due season from someone? What if that person had doubted themselves and analyzed it just too much and they just, it fell through the cracks? I think, but I also think about times that I've been obedient and that I, and later someone came and tell me, you know what you prayed for me, what you spoke to me. Let me just tell you, I got to testify what the Lord has done. And I just wanted to share with you what, the, what you gave to me from the Lord. I want to tell you how much I appreciate that. I've experienced that too. And so we want to rejoice. We want to rejoice in the things. We don't want missed opportunities. We, we don't want to be too busy or too indecisive that we let these things fall through the cracks. So when we talk about making the most of opportunity, let's also talk about why we need wisdom for the evil day. What is the evil day? Okay? Sometimes we think of the evil day and our mind immediately goes to everything horrible we see on the news every heinous crime or all the divisions that we see constantly in the news about politics and everything else we'll, and, and wars and different threats from other countries. And we'll think about that as the evil day, right? But look at what the Bible describes as the evil day. It says that, that there will be times of difficulty, and it describes many things, lovers of self, lovers of money, Arrogant, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, not loving good, proud, heartless, slanderous, brutal, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. It describes that as the evil day. Where do those battles take place? Where do those battles happen? It's in, within us in our hearts, and in our minds. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? So what is Satan's big weapons? Ignorance and deception. See, wisdom is the God-given ability to judge or discern correctly and to follow and to follow the best course of action. So it's not just that you see it, but it's that you respond in faith. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform then to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and perfect will. See, we're going to have struggles. But where the enemy wants to thwart our opportunities and purposes is by trying to get us to battle with flesh weapons and not by the Spirit. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against every spiritual force of evil. And here's where the enemy will come in to cause us to doubt the truth of God's word. To deceive us concerning the true nature of sin. To cause us to focus on all our weaknesses, all our inadequacies. To tempt us not to trust. To discourage us in relation to how we see our spiritual growth to disappoint us through the inconsistency of ourselves and other people, to divide us from others through unnecessary and unresolved conflict. So it's my time and how I think and respond to these situations in my daily life. 
So how I see what is going on around me. So we've got to see today that our identity in Christ is in our daily living and how it's more than just this good feeling. It's the power of Christ in me that will cause me to take action and take every thought captive, every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I want to talk about a couple of struggles that the Lord laid on my heart in particular. But before I do, I've been testing. With, I work in, in a school, and I've been sitting testing with kids this week. And when you're sitting testing with kids, it's a lot of just kind of looking forward at the wall, okay? And you're just sitting there for very long periods of time. Well, I got myself into a comfortable position, and I had this necklace on that had all these beads going down it, and I was just sitting there holding this position for about 45 minutes, really, with my arms in the same position. And I didn't even notice what was happening to my arm. Okay, but when I leaned my arm back, I could see this pattern of all the beads that was on my necklace. And I mean, and they were pretty well indented, okay? And that indention lasted for hours later. It was a complete pattern. And the Lord quickened my heart in that moment that that's how strongholds get started. And I thought about that. What about the patterns of thinking that we have as we're facing all these different situations and the ways we think about them when we make excuses or we justify why we reacted this way and they become patterns and the patterns become strongholds in our hearts, in our minds. See, a stronghold is any incorrect thinking pattern that's molded itself into our way of thinking. So how we respond to all these different situations in our life, they play such a role in our spiritual freedom. They play such a role in what we believe. They play such a role in what we hear, but are we really hearing? what we see, but are we really seeing? And the enemy knows how to press us there and how he can make and how he can try to thwart the, our opportunities because we're so tied up in it. What about the places we wallow over hurt? We can pretend all day long that pain doesn't exist, but the more that we wallow in it, we're not, we're not properly dealing with it God's way. The Bible says, a brother offended is more unyielding than a strong city. What about conflict resolution? I was thinking about this, and I heard some teaching about it, and I, and I really just felt impressed to talk about it today. The fight or flight. See, we all have tendencies within our personalities, Right? They can be from how we were, what kind of house we grew up in. It can be through situations that we've been around. But we all have these tendencies, okay? So maybe you're a fighter. And as soon as something happens, you're ready to, I'm going to get, I'm going to, we're going to deal with this, okay? I'm going to, we're going to talk about it. We're going to get it solved. I'm going to end this. We're going to fight it out, okay? But what about if the other person isn't ready? What if you need more time to see your own faults? in the problem? What if waiting and praying will actually set up a better resolution than if you just go immediately and fight it out? 
Now let's look at the flight, the avoiding conflict. You know, if you're coming to me with conflict, I'm going to walk the other way. I don't want to deal with it. You know, I, I was one, I've always said this, that I used to have a very bad temper. And the Lord has helped me through having children, to really, just through his grace, to have meekness. But I've noticed sometimes that it was almost like I went from one extreme to the other. And I can see how there's a tendency in me now to want the flight. I don't want to, I don't want to deal with it. I don't, want to, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to deal with it. But what if inaction makes the situation worse? Or communicates that you just don't care? What if, what if you, you, someone's doing things and you actually should say something, the truth in love? So there's many different examples of strongholds. The main point I want to make is when the pressure is on, we've got to have wisdom from the Lord to sense that this is every time where I go. Because not every situation is going to call from the same reaction. And we need wisdom in order to see how God wants us to respond. When I'm not getting something that I feel like I need, this is where I go. This is how I cope. That's where we need wisdom. It's discerning what is needed in the situation. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful, the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. That's our word of God that we have. We need to know the power that it had, that it's alive and active, and it gets down to the deepest parts of who we are so that we can see and we can respond. So we've got to be careful about not only hearing God in the abstract, but hearing him in the concrete. Knowing the right thing to do and making the most of every opportunity. That's why the psalmist said, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. See, the abstract is when we hear and we're like, yes, Lord, that's good. That's good. It may inspire us, but we're so focused on all of our busyness, our frustrations, our inadequacies, our doubts, our fears, and our troubles that we get stuck. And so we don't want to just hear a word in the abstract and think that's good and it never meet in our actual life and we're never responding. Like when the word says, go and make disciples. Yes, God, we want to go and make disciples. But who am I sharing the good news with? Who am I discipling? Who am I pouring my life into? When I seen Tammy here last week, it blessed me so much. And I was talking to Regina after service. And I, I know, I don't know all, but I know some of her suffering. And even in the midst of her suffering, Regina told me that she's led three people to Christ in the hospital. And that just, I, I just cried. Because it touched me so much. How much suffering that she's had, and yet, here she is. She's discipling. 
She's, she's pouring out the love of God. What about the scripture? For God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does my worship look like? What motivates my worship? Is it if the right song is sang in the right way, and you were able to take me there? Is that what motivates my worship? Is it everything of how I feel when someone is singing, or is it what I am bringing to my God? What motivates my worship? See, I don't want to be led by my feelings. We don't want to be led around by our feelings. I used to, I used to think and have this sense that it was all about how passionate I could be just the more passion I was. But I, I started to see that sometimes those feelings of passion, if I wasn't careful, I could feel passionate today, but then tomorrow have some situation smack me in the face, and where did my passion go? And when I actually looked at the word passion in Acts, when it refers to the time after Christ's crucifixion, when he came and appeared to the apostles, it talks about that his passion was his suffering. And it made me think, wow, I think of passion when I'm just, whoo, I'm stirred up, I'm ready. But then something comes and happens and I'm not so ready anymore. But yeah, his passion was in the midst of his suffering. What about all the times we come and we go and we come and we go and we're in the midst of hearing worship and then, yes, that was a good word and I enjoyed the fellowship, but there's no real sense of connection and we come and we go and we just feel dull. We are going to have dry times in our life, but we don't want to exist there. And do we realize today that we actually deceive ourselves when we hear so much word but we fail to do anything with it. James says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. I love a good sermon. But what do I do with it when I walk out those doors? We don't want to be passive hearers. What we need to see, it's the point of application of God's word that will always be under attack. The enemy doesn't care how many good words you hear. He doesn't even care that you fall, you almost fall over here, you know, uh, when you're in, when you're doing, you know, in worship. What he cares about is that you're actually putting it into practice because he knows that that's where real victories are won. He knows that's where we will see who we are in our authority in Christ. Faith is not ignoring the traps and the gaps. It's seeing the Lord. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. Jesus walked with identity and authority. And when I was, when I was uh, thinking about this one story in particular, Jesus, with his disciples, during, they, were su- they were having supper and he was teaching them. And he is about to actually wash his feet. And he is getting prepared for every single thing that he was going to face. 
And right before that, here are the disciples arguing over who's the greatest. And the enemy is right there, active, putting betrayal in Judas's heart. And he knows everything. Peter, he's about to tell Peter that he's going to deny him. So all these things are taking place, all of this pressure. And yet he is coming to serve. He's coming to, to, to wash their feet. And the verse that I'm really drawn to in that passage is John 13, 3 and 4. And it says this, Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and knowing that he was coming from, that he came from God and was going to God. When we think about all the pressures in our lives, think of for a moment of the agony and the suffering that Jesus faced. He knew that his life was a ransom to purchase our freedom. He could have backed out at any time that he wanted because the Father had given all things into his hands. He literally stoops in humble service to his disciples, and he does it from a position of authority because the Father had given all things into his hands. He didn't only know his authority. He knew his relationship with his God. He knew his identity as one who had come from God and one who was going to God. He knew that soon he would be on the other side of the tomb. That he would be exalted to the right hand of the Father and be given a name above every name. And that name would be far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. And that his body, the church, would be the fullness of him all in all. So when verse 17 says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We've got to have wisdom to see beyond the surface of things. I thought about crisis versus process. You know, growing up, I'm thankful for a godly heritage. I'm thankful for being raised in church. But you know, you learn some things from some things that you see. You learn some things. And I can remember so much so many times growing up thinking that real change happened in the crisis. And don't get me wrong. God will use a crisis if he needs to, to wake you up. He will. But I can remember all those services I went to. And, and everything was built around the crisis. And we'd get, you'd get so pumped up. And we'd have these big bonfires. And I'd go throw all my mixtapes in the fire. I remember it. And then I come back home. A few days later, I'm wishing I had my mixtapes back. You know what I'm saying? What happened to all that stamina? What happened after the crisis when my life was just back to normal and I'm wishing I had my mixtapes back? And what's taken me years to learn is that true transformation is about the process. It's all the little choices, all, every moment, day by day. One reaction at a time. One discernment of a trap. One day of saying, you know what, Lord, I see my attitude and it stinks. Please forgive me. Repentance is a good thing. Amen? It's a good thing in our lives when we repent. Wow, Lord, I'm feeling conviction about this as I read this scripture. I need your deliverance here. 
this is how I feel. I feel this way and I just can't stop how I feel, but I want to walk by faith. I'm not led by my feelings. So I give this to you, Lord, moment by moment, day by day. Donna, would you come up? We need to see with understanding. When Jesus was there in the midst of all that was going on, and he knew what he was facing, he prays to the Father, I have known you. He's about to approach the cross, and he is full of faith and triumph. The battle is still ahead, but he goes forth as a conqueror. And he prayed for us, for our eyes to see Christ in me, the hope of glory. And this is what he said, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. We're going to face the traps. We're going to see the gaps. We're going to see where we are and where we want to be and the pressure in between. But if we look too long and gaze too long at all of our inadequacies, that's all that we'll see. And what the Lord is wanting us to see today, and I believe this with all my heart, He wants us to see Christ in us. We need wisdom to see the strongholds, the patterns of thinking, the ways that we've coped with our situations, and courage to respond in faith. That we're not just going to go out of here and enjoy another service. But that Monday, when you're feeling the pressure, when you're feeling the frustration, when you're feeling the aggravation, that you will open up your word and realize that it's active and alive. And it reveals to us where we are, but not only that, it's power to change us. Amen. Amen. No trial. No temptation, no weakness, no struggle, no stronghold, no power in the sky or in the earth below. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Amen. In Christ, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. So when we hear that we are chosen, accepted, sealed, redeemed, forgiven, and that we have an inheritance, and that the Lord wants our eyes to be open to the hope of his calling, that we will respond in faith, that we won't be like a cat chasing its tail, or when you have the little those little red things you know, with the lights and you 
take it here and you take it there and the cat just goes everywhere. We don't want to be led around by how we feel, by the circumstances in our life. We want our eyes to be on Christ. So as we close today, can we take this step of faith together as one body? I asked Liz to sing what a beautiful name it is. And can we sing this, giving our worship to God? Not just listening to someone else's words, but us singing together as a step of faith that as we walk out these doors today, we're not just going to be passive hearers, but we may recognize we need some wisdom in some areas, and that's okay. Because we know that we serve a mighty God and that His power is exceedingly great to us who believe, believe on His name. So I'm asking everyone to stand and I want to pray that we, when we leave today, that we will begin not just to hear, but we'll see and have wisdom for when we've been passive hearers. That we will realize that we don't have to power over our situations or mask it. But if we get in the Word of God, the Lord not only shows us the intents of our heart, but it's the power to conform us to the image of Christ, to transform our minds. Amen? Let's pray today. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for everyone's eyes their eyes of understanding to be enlightened. Lord, that they may know what is the hope of their calling. What are the riches of the glory of the inheritance that we have in the saints? What is the exceeding greatness of power toward us who believe? So Father God, I pray today, Lord, you know every situation. Lord, you know every trap. You know every gap. You know hurts that we've been holding on to. You know ways that we've been coping with struggles and the pressure. But God, we're going to take our eyes off of that today. And we're going to place our eyes on you. The name that is above every name. Lord, we do not battle today against flesh and blood, Father Lord, but we rely on the Spirit. So I just pray for everyone as we, as we sing this in faith today, that we will begin to recognize where we are not acting on the word and that our identity in you will be more than an idea. But Lord, we will begin to walk it out in our daily lives. And we thank you, Lord, that when we see our weaknesses and our inadequacies, that your, your strength is made perfect in our weakness. So we give you praise and honor and glory. For it's in your name we pray, amen, hallelujah. You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. Your hidden glory in creation, now revealed in you, our Christ. What a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name. 
you for all that you have done in our lives. I want to thank you for your powerful word that was so beautifully brought to our ears today. And I want to thank you that that word has the power to penetrate our souls and our spirits. But I pray that the the words that we've heard today will not get caught in our ears or go in one ear and out the other, but that we will let it mix with our faith so that our lives can be transformed and changed forever. I thank you that there are men and women in this house today that have made up their mind because of the word that they've heard today that life is going to be different for them. That from this day forward, they're going to take big steps of faith and they're going to trust you for things that will change in their lives each day until they become the people of faith that you've called them to be. Father, I thank you for our messenger today, Stephanie. I can't help but think of what great things that you have in store for her as she follows your call. And Lord, I'm thankful that you have not only appointed her, but you have anointed her. And wherever she goes, And whatever pathway she takes, whatever time in her life you choose, that when she speaks with the power and the authority that you have given her and the anointing that you have placed upon her life, that people's lives will be forever changed by the Word of God. So Lord, I thank you for what you've done in this house today for what you're going to do in the days ahead. I pray that you'll bless your people today, that as they leave this house today, spend time with their families. Lord, I pray that you will allow them to have a wonderful time, fellowship, and that, Lord, relationships that may have been broken will be restored today for those households, Lord, that are households of faith, that they will celebrate this day that you have provided for them. Keep your hand upon us. Bring us back at the next appointed time. And until then, Lord, we will live our lives with the commitment to be everything that you've called us to be.